How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. idea have a point it makes it so much more interesting for the listener welcome to at your service brad young in this evening with you thanks for sticking around after the billikens game that was a great game billikens did very well against loyola of chicago uh but we're going to shift gears a little bit on the voice of st louis and talk about other things uh, this evening. Uh, Matt Pajeski, good to see you, sir. Good to see you too, Brad. And uh, did you notice that I'm, I'm dressed particularly snappy this evening? I do. Yeah, I mean, we, we need a video camera in here. It, it's not often that I come in. In fact, now that I think about it, this is, since I started on Camo X, my goodness, uh, more, far more than a decade ago, I've never once worn a suit and tie in the studio this is my first time. But, you know, you always look extremely dapper. And, of course, that's very important for radio, isn't well, I think, it? Oh, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of people see my outfit, so I feel like I need to really dress it up. Yeah, you look <laughs> well, you've upped your game. Thanks. You've upped your game. But uh, the reason I'm in a suit and tie, again, not that you can see this is radio, but I, I had a trial today. And one of the issues in my trial during my, my day job, and I can't get into all the details, but one of the issues that came up was actually – an issue of attorney-client privilege. As I'm trying the case and the other attorney was cross-examining one of my witnesses, uh, the other attorney started asking one of my witnesses about conversations that he had with me and preparations. And so I have to object a lot. They were all sustained because (laughs) most of my objections are sustained. That's really good. I mean, that's a good thing. Okay. It means the judge agrees with you is all that means. But the reason why I give this story is ironically – not only did I have to deal with attorney-client privilege uh, in my trial today, there's actually attorney-client privilege issues that are impacting directly President Biden right now. And uh, later in the show, probably in the later in the 9 o'clock hour, we'll be talking to syndicated columnist Charles Lipson about the political fallout of the Biden document situation. But I wanted to address one of the legal issues that deals directly with attorney-client privilege, because we've now seen that the I think it's the fourth, the fourth batch of classified documents have shown up uh, in in either the the vice president's residence or his 
uh, or his office that he was using way back in uh, 2016, as late as 2016, 2017. And, but there's something completely different here when you compare what should have been done in this situation legally. Now, what do I mean? Normally, if you had a situation where classified documents were in a location where they shouldn't be, ideally, you would send people with the requisite clearance to go and inspect and to confiscate those documents. Now, that was the issue with President Trump. He wouldn't allow anyone to come in. His attorneys were dealing with the Justice Department. And when his attorneys asserted there was nothing more and the justice thought that there was, that's why that there was the raid that was involved. But in this situation with Biden, he claims I'm cooperating 100 percent with the Justice Department when it comes to these documents. But here's the important part. And here's what I want you to remember as you hear this issue unfold, because keep in mind, this Biden document issue is not going to be going anywhere anytime soon. It's going to be around for a while. But here's the th- question I want to pose to you and see. I mean, you're, you're a smart audience. KMOX has the smartest audience in radio. I'm convinced of that. And here's the point I'm trying to make. When President Biden and his people discovered the documents, did they call, did they call the National Archives? Did they call the FBI to come? Did they call the Justice Department to come and to get those documents. No, they didn't. Who collected those documents? All of the documents that have been found have been found by President Biden's personal attorneys. Now, keep in mind, when you're the president of the United States, you have an army of attorneys at your disposal. An army. (laughs) I mean, uh, when I say an army, I'm really not teasing. they got thousands of attorneys that are working for them. But that's not the attorneys that President Biden used. He used personal attorneys that were working for him, not attorneys who were working for the government. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is? Well, before I answer my own question, here's the question that I have. And that is, were those attorneys who found those documents, did they all have the requisite level of security clearance to go and grab documents. We've seen in countless movies. You've seen this. I, I love these scenes in movies where the president's holding uh, documents that have a folder and it's, it's got some kind of a paper tape around it and they break that paper seal and that shows, oh, we're looking at classified documents. We've seen that in a hundred movies. But that part is real. Those classified documents are in folders. But even seeing those documents requires clearance. So were Biden's attorneys, did they have clearance to do that? We don't know. I'm guessing not because I don't know how you would find a lot of private attorneys who would maintain having a government security clearance. That would be rather difficult. So the question then becomes why? Why would President Biden use his own attorneys instead of using the attorneys from the government or the attorneys or or even the Justice Department to go and find those documents? Well, the answer, I think is the same as in the Hillary Clinton emails. And that's one word, control. Because by using private counsel, Biden can then raise, just like I raised today in my trial, attorney-client privilege. Trump used the same shtick. He had private attorneys doing this exactly the same way. It's not unique to President Biden. 
But with Trump's case, the FBI raided his home to search and remove not just the classified material, but also the documents found in boxes that were kind of intermingled. So how does attorney-client privilege cover this? Well, if the attorneys find anything, and if they're asked to say, what did you find and when did you find it, those attorneys can take the position that, well, it's called work product, meaning I did this as an attorney uh, in the furtherance of my client's interests. And work product cannot be discovered. Or if they're asked to dis- to discuss or to testify about the circumstances in which they found these documents, they can again claim attorney-client privilege or even work product. But what's most interesting from my perspective is, is that if these attorneys that President Biden used did not have the requisite clearance, then merely the act of having those documents picked up from the residence, picked up from his office, just the, just picking up those documents could have been a crime. So in other words, it may have been a crime that President Biden had those documents to begin with, but it could also be a crime for him to send his attorneys to go pick them up. I mean, it's not like you call, uh, you know, Acme Delivery Service and say, hey, go pick up some documents for me uh, at my old office. I, you know, I left them there. Just, you know, go pick them up. They're probably in a cardboard box. Don't worry about it. If there's a, if there's a McDonald's wrapper in there, don't worry about it. It wasn't like that. He sent very high-priced attorneys to pick those up. But doing so, that in of itself may have been a crime unless those attorneys had security clearance. What is absolutely certain here is that over the coming weeks, maybe the coming months, uh, I I predict we're going to find more documents. And when I say we, I mean President Biden's lawyers are going to find more documents, and he's going to continue to use that. So he, just like Hillary Clinton, just like President Trump, can then hide behind that veil of attorney-client privilege to protect those documents. Hey, we got to take a break. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk to the new state auditor for the state of Missouri, Scott Fitzpatrick. He just got elected. What does a state auditor do, and how is he going to do it any differently than his predecessors? Stick around. Brad Young at your service. We'll be right back on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this past november scott fitzpatrick was elected as missouri's newest state auditor so uh, I, you may be asking, what does the state auditor do and how will Scott Fitzpatrick's approach to his new job be any different than prior ones? So I thought, hmm, whom better to speak with than with Scott Fitzpatrick himself? Hey, Scott. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's good to be with you. Yeah. When I spoke to you several months ago uh, when you were the Missouri treasurer, we talked about how you're going to approach, if you got elected, how are you going to approach the position of the auditor? But tell us. How are those two positions different? You move from the state treasurer to the state auditor. How will your job now be different? Well, uh, it, they're, it's very different. For one, um, you know, as state treasurer, I was audited by the auditor's office uh, every single year, so I won't have to do. I won't have to get audited every year anymore, uh, which will will be nice. But you know, the, the auditor's office is it's fairly quite a bit bigger in terms of the number of people that uh, work there or, or that are supposed to work there. The staff numbers are kind of a little bit uh, a little bit low right now that we need to address that and get the staff back up. But I mean, essentially, we're responsible for uh, auditing basically spending of state government and local government in the state of Missouri, and that ranges from counties to cities to road districts to. Uh, various state agencies and the other and school districts as well is another one which has not really been used a lot in the past by the auditor's office. They haven't really uh, spent any time auditing school districts, but it is an area that we're allowed to focus on. And I've talked a lot about education spending and schools being a top priority of mine uh, in terms of how we spend our time and, and what we focus on in uh, the auditor's office. Well, and that's something I want to get into here in a moment, because at your swearing-in ceremony on January 9, you actually mentioned two goals, the first of which involves looking at spending of federal COVID dollars. And and that's what I want to talk about first here, Scott, because the federal government just started firing off the money cannon during COVID. What role will your office play regarding looking at all this federal money that came into the state of Missouri and how it was spent. How does your office involved with auditing that? Well, again, we, we audit all spending at the state level, whether that uh, comes from general revenue, which is the income tax and sales tax money, but we also audit 
federal spending that takes place by state government and by local governments. And so, uh, yeah, I talked I talked about that a lot during the campaign, as well as during my, my speech on Monday of last week at the swearing-in ceremony, that government at all levels are spending records amount of money, amounts of money. It's not even close in terms of the growth that we would see in a typical year prior to COVID and the amount of money being spent. What we're seeing now is, is orders of magnitude greater than that. Uh, just to give you an example, some local governments that I have seen, I've looked at uh, personally, have received uh, payments from the federal government to basically money that they can spend really however they want to that are greater than their annual operating budget. And so, oh my goodness. Take, yeah, so when you take a, a government or a local government entity and give it an amount of money to as kind of just a blank check uh, to spend however they want to that's greater than what they are already spending in an entire year, that creates more opportunity for fraud, it creates more opportunity for taxpayer money to be wasted, and frankly, it creates more opportunity for the auditor's office to, to find wrongdoing and how money is being spent uh, by government. And so that's what we're going to focus on. I think it is really important, uh, especially since we're all going to be paying for the price for these decisions down the road. We're already paying for it in, uh, by inflation that we're yes, dealing we with. Yes, we are. But we're also going to have to pay this money back, and so uh, it's, it's not it's not free. I mean, we're printing it, uh, and we're you know, but we, we are also uh, borrowing it. And uh, you know, when you do those things, you end up eventually having to pay that money back. Absolutely, we're talking to Missouri State Auditor Scott Fitzpatrick, and Bloomberg reported several months ago that that no one really knows how much COVID relief money was stolen or mismanaged across the country. And and you said two things here that I want to circle back on. You said you're going to be looking at whether government agencies mismanaged that money or whether there was fraud. At least from my perspective, those are two different things. Uh, mismanagement, spending it on stupid stuff, but fraud is when there's self-dealing and government agencies maybe be holding onto that some some of that money or bureaucrats keeping that money. So there, I see a difference between fraud and mismanagement. Will you be looking at both of those aspects? when you're auditing state uh, entities or, or rather government agencies across the state? Yeah, we will. And I mean, one of the other, one of the other things that can happen with fraud is that the programs that are set up can be defrauded by, you know, opportunists that are not necessarily part of the government. But, uh, you know, one example is like the school lunch programs that were set up, you know, when, when schools mm-hmm. were not in person, there was uh, a lot of money being spent to provide meals to kids that were not in school and it created an opportunity for uh, it could be for the for school districts or other agencies that were providing the the meals that these kids were getting access to uh, to have products. The story out of Minnesota uh, that dealt that talked about that, and I know that mm-hmm. I've already had conversations with the governor's office. They've they've got some concerns over uh, things that may have happened in the school lunch program in Missouri, and so there's going to be things that. Uh, yeah, sometimes fraud can be occurring from within, where you have a, a, an employee of a of a government agency stealing money, uh, or you have um, you know employees working with a vendor to launder money, you know, to, to basically get kickbacks. Yes. Uh, but there's also the type of fraud that can occur. I mean, the rental assistance program. I was on the board of MHDC, and we had over 300 million dollars of federal money that was put in our lap that we were put in charge of trying to distribute for rental assistance. And that is another area where you can have people who 
may not qualify or need that rental assistance money, uh, basically putting in applications to receive this federal funding from the Missouri Housing Development Commission to help pay for their rent when they and they could just be you know doctoring the paperwork. And I know that the staff had been vigilant in trying to uh, you know identify fraud and uh, you know as outside you know third parties looking at these applications as well. But there's still probably been a ton of fraud in the rental assistance mm-hmm. programs around the country as well. Well, I'm glad you're looking into it. Missouri State Auditor Scott Fitzpatrick. Scott, the second goal that you mentioned in your swearing-in ceremony is schools. And I was stunned uh, whenever I was reading your comments uh, from your swearing-in ceremony that only one school district is audited in the past by your office, obviously before you got there. But on average, only one school district was audited each year. Yeah, that's about right. I mean, it, it, typically it was if there was a petition by the people in the district. So, you know, we have, you know, the discretionary audit, audits that the auditor's office can do, you know, at the direction of the auditor. But then there are other ways that audits can be uh, accomplished. One is if, if a group of citizens signs a petition to have an entity audited and turns it into the auditor's office, that that will trigger a, an audit that the auditor is required to perform. Mm-hmm. And I think historically most of the audits that have even taken place on schools have been because of petition. Uh, but the auditor has the you know discretion and statute to choose to go audit schools. And I, like I said in, in that speech that you referenced, I mean, K-12 education is the second largest expenditure of state government behind the state's welfare programs like Medicaid. And we spend almost no time or resources auditing how that money is being spent. Yet we have two-thirds of kids in Missouri that aren't proficient in math or science, and over half of kids in Missouri don't read on grade level. So we do need to be paying attention to this money, how it's being spent. Um, you know, is it being spent in the classroom, or is it being spent to increase the number of administrators in the central office at the school district? And I, I know because I was the budget chairman, I've been the state treasurer, we're giving more money every single year to schools. And we need to make sure that they're accountable for those resources and that they are actually using them to teach kids the things that they need to know to be ready for the next phase of life. Boy, you really touched on a on a hot button issue for me, because every time a school district uh, comes in and asks for an increased funding from the voters, the school district always says, if we don't get this additional funding, we're going to have to lay off teachers. And then the parents go into a frenzy and the parents don't want the teachers laid off. And they become like cheerleaders for the increase in funding. But at no time is there ever any discussion of getting rid of upper management in the school districts. It's always about the teachers. So I'm glad you're going to be looking into some of that. Uh, You also mentioned about what the schools are spending their money on. What about critical race theory? Will if you're auditing a school, would your examination into how the school districts spend their money, would that involve in any way seeing whether and how much schools are spending on critical race theory programs? Well, curriculum in general is something that I I do think deserves to be looked at in a performance audit context. And, you know, one of the things that is going to be contemplated by the legislature in the next few months is uh, curriculum and specifically critical race theory or, you know, racially divisive curriculum that, that basically divides you know, students into tribes and teaches them that they're either oppressed or oppressors. And, uh, you know, if the legislature takes action on that, you know, this this spring um, and, and passes it into law, 
uh, that, that basically some guidelines on that curriculum. That will give us some statutory guidance on how we can look at those things and how to audit them. Uh, and, you know, look at them through the lens of compliance with state law. Right now, if we do it, and, you know, I'd like to uh, look at curriculum, but right now if we do it, we're doing it on kind of a performance audit basis and just looking at, you know, what basically informing taxpayers of how uh, how the money is being spent and what curriculum is being implemented. As opposed to if the legislature passes a law that addresses it specifically, we can look at just specifically compliance with that particular law. So, um, you know, and I hope that they do take action on that. There was debate on it last year, uh, but hopefully they'll uh, they'll get that done this year. Yeah, me too. I'll be watching that. Uh, we're talking to Missouri State Auditor Scott Fitzpatrick. And last question, if if you could kind of look several years into the future, what would you consider to be uh, a benchmark for for you saying I did a very good job in my position as auditor. In other words, what would you like to see accomplished in your term as the Missouri State Auditor? Well, I think that when you look at, at the what makes an auditor a good auditor or a bad auditor, it's the the kind and the the kind of and quality of the audits and the reports that they produce, and whether or not those reports resulted in any, any type of change. And so, when you look at you know, the importance of the work and what you're doing, you know, how many audits, what percentage of our audits can can assist the legislature in, in addressing changes to public policy? Um, you know, what percentage of our audits result in identifying fraud that uh, gets, uh, gets somebody, um, you know, removed from an agency uh, that protects pa- taxpayers and, and returns funds to taxpayers through recovery efforts? Those will be the things that we'll look at. You know, I say, I'd say at the end of my tenure, and I'm sure that when that press release goes out, when I'm leaving the auditor's office someday down the road, those will be the things that we focus on hmm. uh, is, you know, criminal convictions and, and changes to policy as a result of the audits that we put out. And uh, so we're going to try to focus on spending our time on, on meaningful things, things that, that people, the general public will think is important uh, and that, the legislature will have an interest in. Missouri State Auditor Scott Fitzpatrick, hey, I know that we'll be talking to you often during the next four years. Thanks for taking the time today to talk to us. Thanks, man. Good to be with you. Great to be with you, too, as well. One of the things, and I asked him about that CRT, uh, last year, actually it was in 2021, the Francis House School District paid thousands of dollars to a, to a CRT advocate named LeGarrett King. And I watched his recorded Zoom call where he basically told teachers how to commit fraud, how to teach CRT in a way that the students wouldn't be able to go home and tell their parents about it. And this is one of the things that I recorded uh, this LeGarrett King telling Francis Howell School District teachers this is the advice that he gave. Historical uniformity is this notion July 4th, 1776. Y'all do know July 4th, 1776 means nothing to black people. Now, now see, I don't believe that. I don't believe that 1776 means nothing to black people. I think that any person who's proud of this country is going to recognize that 1776 created the beginning. Of course, we're working that out, obviously, over time, over time. But it created the most powerful force of good that this planet has ever seen. And it seems to me to be ridiculous that uh, that a consultant would be teaching students, would be teaching teachers to teach students that 1776 means nothing to black folks. That's just outrageous. And that's something I hope uh, that if, if there's legislative authority 
I hope that Scott Fitzpatrick's office can absolutely look into this. And speaking of that legislative authority, right now, Governor Parson is considering, and I believe there's a bill that's pending uh, in or will be pending in the in the House of Representatives in Jeff City uh, because the legislative session has just begun. But there will be a bill there that will give the auditor's office the ability to actually look at curriculum. And listen, we just passed Martin Luther King Day. Just we just had it. And on Martin Luther King Day, the thing that we're challenged to do uh, is to judge people based upon their character, not on the color of their skin. And yet critical race theory does the exact opposite. It tells you you have to judge people on the color of their skin, that white people are oppressors, that black people are the oppressed, and you have to segregate them into categories, which is the exact diametric opposite of what Martin Luther King stood for, what he marched for. And what he preached about. And so it seems to me if we want to honor Martin Luther King, honor his vision, honor what he was preaching and teaching about for so long, we will eliminate CRT from our schools. And I believe that Scott Fitzpatrick will be able to do that with legislation. Hey, we're going to take a break here. Brad Young, at your service. We'll be right back after this on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. good idea have a point it makes it so much more interesting for the listener welcome back to at your service brad young in with you this evening and 
Uh, I'm often told I don't give my email address often enough. I, I get emails from listeners. I respond to every email. So feel free to email me at any time. My email address is beyoung, because, you know, it's good to be young, B-Y-O-U-N-G at harrisdowell.com, H-A-R-R-I-S, as in Sam, D as in David, O-W-E-L-L.com. That's the name of my law firm, and I would be thrilled, thrilled to hear from you. One of the things that I like to look at uh, whenever I'm prepping for a show is these national days. And, for example, uh, tomorrow the 18th of January is national, uh, national, uh, actually today's the 18th, tomorrow's the 19th, but it's national Winnie the Pooh Day. And I thought about Winnie the Pooh and what comes to mind when you think of Winnie the Pooh. Obviously, if you've seen any of the movies, Winnie the Pooh, especially if you watched him as a child, then then you naturally have a warm, fuzzy feeling about Winnie the Pooh. And obviously that's by design. You have that feeling because of the movies. But if you noticed in the past year, there was a a low-budget slasher movie that came out called Winnie the Pooh uh, Blood and Honey. <laughs> and when that movie... It's an ultra-low budget. I'm never going to see that movie. I don't like slasher movies. I don't like low-budget movies. But the idea to me is intriguing. Why is the idea intriguing? Because you would think, hey, Disney, Disney's got, and we talked in the last hour about Biden having armies of attorneys. Disney's got even more. I, I bet you they've got more attorneys than the federal government. And they could jump all over these this company, this low-budget company that shot the movie, I believe the entire movie took 10 days to shoot. Normally, movies take months and months and months. Special effects take even longer. My goodness, James Cameron takes him 20 years to make a movie, right? But this movie was done in 10 days. And I suspect if you watch the movie, it probably looks like about a 10-day movie. That's probably your your expectations will be met. But conceptually... The only reason that these folks could make a slasher movie off of Winnie the Pooh is because the copyright interest lapsed. It it lapsed. And usually the U.S. copyright law is limited to the life of the author, which in this case, I believe his name was A.A. Milne, life of the author plus 70 years. But there was a Copyright Term Extension Act that I think went into effect in 1998 that protects corporate authorship rights for 95 years from the first publication or 120 years after its creation, whichever ends sooner. So in this instance, in 2022, Disney lost part of their copyright interest in Winnie the Pooh. So you could have a Winnie the Pooh slasher movie, but if you watch the slasher movie, I, the only thing I did was I watched the trailer. And in the trailer, the guys are basically... They're basically thug-looking guys who are just wearing a Winnie the Pooh mask and and a piglet because his sidekick is Piglet, except Piglet's like 6'4 and built like a linebacker. So that's not Piglet. Piglet wasn't 6'5. Come on. But you can't – in other words, Disney still has a partial copyright interest in the the, the in the character of Winnie the Pooh, because as soon as I mention Winnie the Pooh, you're picturing the fuzzy little bear wearing the red jacket, 
and talking in a certain way. Those are all characterizations that Disney did after they bought the rights to the A.A. Milne uh, characters. So Disney still owns that characterization of Winnie the Pooh. They just don't own the rights to the character itself, if that makes any sense. The reason I mention this mention this story is because in a related story, the, the rights to Sherlock Holmes expires this year. It expired, actually, I think it expired at the very end of 2022. So if you want to go out and write your own Sherlock Holmes novel, knock them dead. I mean, there's no there's no legal restriction on you writing the next uh, the next great Sherlock Holmes novel. I loved Sherlock Holmes novels, still do my favorite. Uh, but now there's no copyright interest in them, so you can just go out and write those. And what I think is interesting, there's a show right now on Netflix. It's about Sherlock Holmes' sister. I think it's Enola Holmes, and the the lead from Stranger Things is plays Sherlock Holmes' sister, and she solves crimes. Well, Netflix got sued for doing this because they claimed that at the time, this was in 2020, that portions of the Sherlock Holmes character was represented. They didn't pay the rights. Of course, it gets settled out of court. But now all of that is gone because all of the rights have expired, and you too can be the next Sherlock Holmes author. Hey, we're going to take a break here. Coming up after the break, If you use computers, certainly at work, in any context, I know that passwords drive you crazy. They do me. I'm I'm the IT guy at my law firm. We're always changing passwords, and everybody forgets them, and everybody comes to me, and I got to go fix it. It's a problem. So there was a story last week entitled, Are Passwords Even Necessary Any Longer? So I wanted to reach out to George Rosenthal at, at ThrottleNet, to get his take on do we even need passwords? And until that point, what can we do to make our computers more secure? Coming up right after this on At Your Service on X. It's that time of year. Cash the ticket. Jim Costa with Mike Valeni. We shift the focus from football to college hoops, getting us ready for the tournament where we're going to break down all the matchups and have an eye on some future plays, too. Search Cash the Ticket on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm such a nerd. I, I read this story last week called Everything You've Been Told About Passwords is a Lie. So I wanted to reach out to George Rosenthal at ThrottleNet just to see what this is all about. Hey, George, great to talk to you again. Great to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, yeah. And I, I oversee IT at my at my law firm, and I'm the IT guy. I'm the guy with tape on my glasses. Every time somebody it. has a problem, they come talk to me, and I'm the guy that's got to fix it. But before yep. we get into yep. all the alternatives to, to passwords, which there are a lot, let's talk about passwords themselves. Now, we've been told over and over and over again how to make passwords more secure, but you know, if we just stick an exclamation point at the end of our old password, that's not really more secure, is it? No, no. In fact, uh, every year Microsoft uh, comes out with a report, and it's so funny to, to watch every year the most common password used, and two years ago, they're always delayed by a year or so. Two years ago, the most common password was still password. No, still. With it's a capital st- P. Oh. Yes, it's crazy. I, 
I cannot understand it at this day and age after, you know, here we are at 2023 where we were supposed to have flying cars by now, by the way. Right. That's what the Jetsons said, and it didn't happen. That's right. (laughs) That's right. It didn't happen. But the password phrase is is so, to me, is so antiquated and outdated. But there are a lot of different things that everybody needs to pay attention to until soon the passwords will get into the, what I call the future or where it should be now. Um, And we can talk about that as well. But Right now, your password should not be password one, two, three. It should be something that you'll remember. There's a couple of things I would recommend. Number one, make a passphrase, not a mm-hmm. password. So use your favorite song lyric. Use a, you know, an inspirational sentence that will get you going throughout the day. You know, I, I use a song lyric, my favorite song lyric, and I put a capital, and you spell it out as you would normally do so. Some sites and services will let you have a pass, uh, a space in the password. Some will not. But if you can... Spell it out like a regular sentence with punctuation and so forth. Now, the other thing that everybody hates is don't use the same password for multiple services. So if you're streaming DirecTV, YouTube, Netflix, your bank account, your credit cards, and a lot of people have the same password for all of those services, please don't do that. Do not do that. Right, um, because if somebody you know, if somebody successfully hacks your account on Netflix, then they could just go and successfully hack your account on Disney Plus or Hulu or whatever. Yeah, and what's what's crazy is they're not just hacking the service, but if they if they do a, if let's say you click on the wrong email, you download a keylogger, you're sitting at Panera Bread, you get on their free Wi-Fi, and somebody is now logging and copying all your keystrokes. No matter how long your password or passphrase is, it won't matter. They'll be able to get to it. So. The key is changing them for each service you use. And then I would highly recommend men to solve that problem of remembering all these passwords would be to get a password manager. Right. Like, I mean, we'll get into that in just a second. But yeah. but before we move on, you, you mentioned a passphrase. And, yes. uh, and I will tell you, I've not used this, but I've thought about using it uh, because I'm a Star Trek nut. OK, so I, yep. I wanted to have and I didn't do it. So don't go and try. Yep. It's not going to work. But I wanted to do space the final frontier and replace the S with a dollar sign and replace some yeah. of the other letters with numbers or characters. But isn't that what you're talking about when you say yeah. a passphrase? Yes. Yeah. So you want it, I mean, obviously, you want it, the longer the password, the harder and longer it takes to crack the password. But if you can swap out a zero instead of an O or, uh, you know, an exclamation point where an L should be or an I should be, that's great. Just make sure you remember the characters you swap out so it's easy to do. And then also multiple words put together. So it's not just like you're not just taking your first name, George, and replacing the E with a three. Don't do right. that. Right, because uh, that's too easy. don't use any personal information. And yeah, yeah, don't just swap out a character thinking, oh, well, I'll just take my name and swap out an E for a three. That doesn't work. That's not gonna. That's not no. gonna help anything. We're we're talking to George Rosenthal. He's the owner of ThrottleNet here in St. Louis, and you touched on this a minute ago. I, I know many people who use password management services just to keep track of all their passwords. But but one of the better known password management services, LastPass, they just revealed recently that they got hacked and hackers stole copies yeah. of usernames and passwords. So yes, when, when yes. I and when I see that, you know, there was an old I forgot the guy's name, but he was a famous bank robber in the 50s and he was asked, "Why do you rob banks?" And he said, "Because that's where the money is." That's so it, money is. so that's if right. I'm a hacker and I want to know someone's username and password, the first place I'm going to do or go is I'm going to try to hack a password management service. So I guess that's my exactly question right. So I guess my question is, do you still recommend those? Are those safe for folks to use? 
So I do recommend them. I use, I personally use, uh, and I have no, we have no affiliation with them at all, but uh, I personally use the one that's called Last Pass. It's L-A-S-T-P-A-S-S. It's about three bucks a month. Um, like I said, there's others. There's, there's a bunch of them out there. Dash Lane is another example. Um, but it, that example you just told, told it basically illustrates why nothing is ever perfectly secure. Uh, LastPass is saying that a lot of the details around the accounts that were hacked were encrypted and unable to be hacked. That remains to be seen. But the thing is, like those passwords could be, if they were non-encrypted and they were discovered and un- unhacked or un- uncracked, they could be sold on the dark web to a bunch of other services. Mm-hmm. So once your information is out there, it's out there on the dark web, not just for one person to use, but for many to use. So uh, in, in the event that you were using LastPass, when they got hacked, I would recommend going in and changing those passwords. And, and that's something that a password manager will do for you. You can just hit auto-generate a password, and it'll auto-generate 128 characters of gibberish. But the point is you never have to remember right. that password. Because that application of LastPass is on every device you have, and so, and you can also go access it through a web browser. So if you happen to be somewhere without your device, uh, you don't have to remember all your passwords. Is what I'm getting at. And yeah, and that's that and makes that's, it that's very convenient. Very convenient. Uh, more than two decades ago, we were promised, and I remember this. I remember all the. This is what's coming up around the corner. Uh-huh. Was biometric security, here, yeah. like iris yep. scans, and and we did have some iPhones that used fingerprint scanning for a while, but those those have gone away. Uh, why don't we have biometric scanning as a standard practice for computers or VPNs or email services? So that is definitely something coming down the line very very quickly. Um, it does. There's a couple of things of reasons why. Number one, it gets into a lot of people's privacy. Yes. The whole 1984 Big Brother thing pops up in most Americans' heads, and they think, I don't want to give anybody my fingerprint, uh, a picture of my face that a computer can recognize. There's, so it's going to – look, that's going to take some time. I mean, society is going to end up changing that way uh, to where your retina in your eyeball is used to make purchases at a vending machine where you're going to have your fingerprint matched up with your voice in order to open an application. You're going to have uh, the ability to look at a screen like you do now on an iPhone. Uh, and I, I'm pretty sure that Android is the same way, uses facial recognition. But it's going to take time for the society to understand that, look, your, your personal stuff's already out there. And until people understand that, it's, that it's already out there, that it's okay to use facial recognition, retina scanning, uh, you know, it's it's one step below a chip in your neck. I get it. <laughs> I totally understand it, or a chip in your wrist. But if if we're going to get to the point where technology is more integrated in our lives, remembering 30 passwords is not going to fly for from for too much longer. So, and again, it comes down to a, let's then trust a, a password manager. Then that gets hacked. Now I'm still out in the open. Whereas if it's my face matched up with my voice, nobody can really. They can't mm-hmm. copy that unless they're holding a gun to my head and t- forcing me to open up my bank Yeah, yeah that, that only happens in Mission Impossible movies. Only so, happens in the movies. That's yeah, right. Exactly. So, we're, we're, talking yeah. to, we're talking to George Rosenthal, owner of ThrottleNet here in St. Louis. Uh, last question. What do you think about multi-factor authentication? That's what I have at my yeah. firm for our computers, yes. for our VPNs. How does that work from a security standpoint? Do you like that? It is, it is now standard practice and needs to be standard practice in your business if it's not already. 
multi-form factor authentication, something as simple as sending a text code to your phone or mobile device in order for you to log into a website just to validate who you are, or you know, you log into your mobile app and then it sends a code to your email and then you need to look that up. Uh, but multi-form factor authentication is extremely critical to have. If you do not have that in your company, that's number one. Well, Place, I, I got to stop one. you there, George, because we're coming up on a hard break. But if folks want to reach out to you for more help for their corporate security needs, how can they find you? Absolutely. It's throttlenet.com forward slash 971. That makes it easy. Hey, George, great easy. to talk to you again and uh, looking forward to talking to you soon. Great to talk to you as well. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. I always like talking uh, to George Rose, uh, to George Rosenthal because he knows a lot about computers and he's conversational about it. He's not a, he's not a the kind of guy that makes your eyes roll over when you talk about tech issues. Very very good guy, and I always enjoy talking to them. Another guy that I enjoy talking to is syndicated columnist Charles Lipson, and uh, I wanted to talk to George. I'm sorry to to Charles Lipson. On the political fallout, he wrote a column last week on the political fallout of Biden's document scandal. I talked about the legal issues in the first hour, but now I'm going to talk to Charles Lipson about the political ramifications next on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Got to tell you, I love talking to Charles Lipson. Let me give you this setup. He lectured, President Biden lectured uh, us on the documents issue. He condescended. He harangued President Trump about keeping classified documents at his home. And yet now, now President Biden did the exact same thing. So with more details on this, we're speaking to my good friend, syndicated columnist, friend of the show, Charles Lipson. Charles, great to talk to you again. What a wonderful introduction, Brad. Uh, I'm going to have you write my vita. <laughs> I could do that. Uh, okay. Just contact my law firm during the day, and I'll uh, be happy my to. Lawyer, uh... will call your lawyer. <laughs> I'll be happy to do that for you. Uh, earlier in the show, I discussed some of the legal ramifications of Biden's DocuGate, but I wanted to talk to you about the political fallout. In in your most recent column on this, you state that Biden might pay a political price for staying mum about possessing the documents improperly. Tell us about that. Well, I think he will pay a political price, and I think the price is getting higher. And in fact, uh, as more documents are discovered and as we're learning more, and I think it's likely to merge into some of the Hunter Biden mess. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because we're now learning uh, that um, uh, that the home where uh, the Corvette home. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 we all know about skiffs. Oh, uh, yeah. Secure. I know. Uh, um, secure compartmentalized information facility. Yeah, yep. Exactly. But I've uh, decided the C should be Corvette. Oh, good. Se- secure Corvette information for, uh, facilities. The... The fact is, Hunter Biden had access to that. Yes, and uh, you know he's just a um, he's just a cornucopia of problems for the president. Uh, and so, and we are now seeing that he was paying. He said forty nine thousand plus dollars a month to rent that place. At one point, he said he owned it. He didn't, but. 
you can't, uh, and that may have been a misstatement, that may have been his yearly rent, but in any event, uh, it's going to overlap, and there's going to be no way that they can find out who had uh, access to all these documents or the chain uh, of custody since Biden left the White House. What a problem. Yeah, it is a problem. So you see political fallout uh, for regarding President Biden right now because of this, don't you? Absolutely. And in fact, uh, you can already see that Democrats are, uh, I don't think that they're concerned specifically about what is in the documents or not. I think what they're really concerned about is that he's a very weak candidate going into 2024. And so you're going to see uh, Democrats, not Republicans, uh, trying to uh, push Biden out of the picture. But of course, they don't want him out of the picture before um, before 2024, because that leaves him with Kamala Harris. <laughs> Which doesn't really excite anyone. Uh Many people are screaming about the Justice Department's failure to disclose this breach of national security before the recent midterm elections. Do you think we should be paying attention to that angle here? Well, I'm not sure. The Justice Department is not uh, obligated uh, to do that. Normally, uh, these things come out as leaks, but the leaks are always against uh, Republicans. Isn't that interesting how that always happens just that way? Yeah, but that but of course, it's these are neutral experts and we shouldn't question them. But I think one of the interesting questions that we need to know a little about is the Justice Department knew about some of the Biden documents before they appointed a special prosecutor for Trump, right, on those documents. sure. And so we need to know, we need to understand uh, what what was going on here. Uh, What what were they doing with one set of of facts and not the other? I, I think it's a problem also because I think that the most fundamental thing that American citizens rightly uh, demand is equal treatment. They don't want rich people mm-hmm. treated differently exactly. from poor people. They don't want black people treated differently from white people. And they don't want politically connected people treated differently from the non-connected. And they do have a sense that Democrats are treated differently from Republicans. Look at how many uh, uh, classified documents Hillary Clinton had on her secure home server. Yeah, which was in, the, in her restroom. Quotes. It was in her restroom, as I understand. Well, uh, yeah, I don't want to make any jokes. Okay, <laughs> about three came to my mind, but I, I will, uh, I will leave, I will leave that alone. We're we're yeah. talking to syndicated columnist Charles Lipson. Uh, I read his work all the time. I'm on his email list. You'll need to do that too. We'll get to that in just a moment. But Charles, politically, how is this situation tying up Attorney General Merrick Garland like a pretzel? Uh, I think that's right. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, or just as Biden was trying to appoint the cabinet, I said that the most thankless job in the cabinet was going to be the attorney general. And it was already obvious that the attorney general was going to have to deal with the Hunter Biden things. But now we've got not two, but three 
special counsels. Remember, we have the Russian collusion hoax special counsel, uh, Durham. Uh, uh, you couldn't convict anybody in a Washington or Northern Virginia uh, a courtroom because, you know, they 96 percent, I think, voted for President Biden. These are these are like um, white people in uh, Mississippi in the 1940s being charged mm-hmm. with a crime of violence against a black person. They were just going to be uh, excused uh, for it. So, uh, but I do think that Merritt Garland is in uh, a terrible position, and you can see that because he's subcontracting all the important work of the Justice Department to special counsels. Which is easy. I wish I could, you know, subcontract all of my work out to other people. That would that would be uh, that'd be a nice way to get your job done. But it does well, put are him you in... filling. Are you filling in for Mark Ridden? Well, yeah, but he's subcontracting <laughs> out to me. I, there's nobody to fill in for me. I'm the guy that gets I it see. subcontracted too. I see. I so see. I, I guess That's, technically, okay. I'm it's these... Mark. We've got to yes. blame for the, all this. Hey, you're, you're the special uh, special counsel for him. Exactly. That's it. And uh, I, I hope the other special counsel and uh, is making more than I am on this gig. But I, <laughs> but it, <laughs> whoops, I didn't mean to let that slip out. Uh, oh. But 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 yeah, here's like I, I believe that you are worth. The minimum wage per hour. Oh, thank you, Charles. You know that means a lot to me. That that means a very much to me. Uh, and and we've talked about these obvious comparisons to uh, between President Biden's situation and President Trump's classified document troubles, but they are different. How do you see them being different? Well, I, I've listened to both people on the left and right. Uh, explain the differences, and there are a number of differences. Uh, the people on the uh, on the left say, "Well, you know, Biden immediately turned everything over, and blah blah blah." And then, whereas Trump fought it. On the other hand, uh, people on the right say, "Well, Trump is in a position to declassify documents in a way that the vice president was not." Exactly. Uh, it, 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 um, there. Uh, there, uh, the documents in Biden's case were moved a number of times. A lot of people seem to have had access to them. You know, there there just are a number uh, of differences. But in the end, I think that the that it will be impossible to criminally prosecute Trump for uh, for the documents if you don't prosecute Biden. Now, there are two key points there. One is that Trump is uh, Trump denied that he had any more documents in writing uh, at a certain time, and that can be called obstruction of justice. Uh, so that that's a potential problem. The other is that uh, the Justice Department has a longstanding rule, several decades old, that you can't charge a sitting president with a crime. You can name him as an unindicted conspirator or something like that, but you can't charge him with a crime. And that makes sense. Otherwise, the Justice Department would be in a position uh, to do what the Congress can do with impeachment. I mean, that's an impeachment issue, not a not a criminal Correct. issue. So uh, there are Im- important differences. But I think the political point here is uh, drip, drip, drip. Uh, do people remember uh, the Tylenol um, uh, poison Scare. issue 
yep. many, many years ago. And what we learned from that is the two basic tenets of crisis management. get Tell the truth and get everything out all at once. And the Biden administration has violated both. Well, they, and they certainly have. And just like we see with so many political scandals, that's really oftentimes worse than the underlying potential criminal activity that they're trying to cover up. Right. They sent Biden out to read a very carefully crafted, obviously crafted by lawyers, statement about, you know, just this one set of documents when they already knew there were more. So uh, all of this undermines uh, any the credibility. And you can see how much it's undermined it because if uh, the, the uh, White House briefing room has shown mainstream news reporters all over the case trying to get at it. Now, the next question is, will they actually do any real reporting and investigating or just question the White House? That's exactly right. We're talking to syndicated columnist Charles Lipson. And Charles, I, I wanted to get this in before we have to take mm-hmm. a break. And that is this. You mentioned the, the, the mainstream media. And we know, we all know, anyone with a brain knows that the mainstream media obviously skews left. And, uh, and but this situation, I think, places the media in, in a position where they're more tied up than Merrick Garland because of how the media reported when President Trump's documents were found at Mar-a-Lago. They're now forced to cover this story in a way that they probably wouldn't have covered it but for what happened to Donald Trump. Do you agree with that? Uh, I agree with that, and I've watched CNN and others. I I think that you should draw a distinction, at least I do, uh, between the media's criticism of a Democratic president when he's in office and when he's running against a Republican in a campaign year. Uh, They may be critical of a Democrat, when he's uh, sort of standing alone as the president, and you see the media doing that now. But as soon as Ron DeSantis emerges as the main candidate against him and it becomes one-on-one, they tend to group back around their preferred party. And I think that all of that is an abdication of journalistic responsibility. What you're... um, what your radio station does is opinion and talk, right? Uh, and every newspaper uh, has has a section for doing that. But that's different from hard news reporting. And we see that that's just collapsed in this country. It, it has. And, and when you're talking about these documents, though, uh, I, I, I want to squelch this rumor right here, Charles. There's no truth to the rumor that President Biden's doctors recently found more classified documents during his most recent colonoscopy. That is false. (laughs) That is not true. Okay, not true. That is not true. But but remember, uh, a former national security advisor, Sandy (laughs) Sandy Berger, Berger. stuffed him down (laughs) his socks. Yes. Yes, he did. And uh, he was convicted of a misdemeanor. on. I think it was in 2005 that that happened. Um, Charles, I always enjoy when I see your name pop up in my inbox with your articles. Tell us if folks want to get on your email list so that they can read your insight, your humor, your analysis that you have in your columns. How can they do that? Uh, just go to my website, which is Charles Lipson, L-I-P-S-O-N, uh, dot com, and there's a sign-up form, and it's free. Uh, uh, 
I send out to everybody who's on the list a summary of my latest op-eds. I write about one or two a week, and um, and if and it's easy to get off the list if they're uh, if they're so inclined. So I look forward to. Uh, I always enjoy talking with you, Brad, and uh, I love having listeners from St. Louis. You know, I grew up listening to St. Louis radio in the Mississippi Delta mm. because we could get KMOX. Yep. My appreciation to you, Brad. It's great. To, I love interviewing Charles. He, uh, he He's insightful, he's funny, and he's also spot on when it comes to his analysis. Always enjoy talking to Charles Lipson. You know, another issue that just came up yesterday, hockey players. Can they refuse to wear pride jerseys at a hockey game? Coming up next on At Your Service, Brad Young, KMOX. Welcome back to At Your Service. Thanks so much for staying up late with us tonight. We've covered lots of topics, talked about some interesting things. And uh, as we slide into this last segment... Uh, actually, Matt Pajeski raised this issue because I hadn't caught the news. I was a little busy today. But uh, what happened in the NHL last night? So uh, an NHL player uh, for the Philadelphia Flyers, Ivan Provorov, he uh, refused to wear the uh, the pride flag warm-up jerseys uh, before the Flyers game. Uh, now, this is, just, this is just the warm-up jerseys. This isn't the jerseys that the team would actually wear on the ice during the game. And you see a lot of teams do this for, like, uh, maybe maybe breast cancer awareness. They mm-hmm. will wear pink jerseys before the game, or maybe a camouflage ar- army. Yeah, camouflage jerseys if it's uh, like an army night or something like that. So this uh, certain night in Philadelphia was Pride Night, and Ivan Provorov says he's not going to go out and skate with that jersey on. And uh, some of the players also had like rainbow tape on the sticks, and he he didn't want anything to do with that. So he opted out of the uh, out of the the practice skate that day. So, yeah. so that means he couldn't skate. It wasn't like he just went out and skated. Uh, and again, this is just for the warm up. He couldn't go out and skate with some other jersey. He had to sit that out. He he chose to sit out. Is what I is what I heard. Okay. Um, I don't I don't know if if he could have skated with the normal jersey. I, maybe it would. I mean, either way, that would still he would still be the odd one out as to you know why isn't he dressed like everyone else? Mm-hmm. So he he cited his own personal uh, religions and beliefs. Uh, as as to why he wasn't wearing that, and um, the coach John Tortorella seemed to seem to be um, understanding of it and said he respected his decisions. And, and what about the NHL? How did the NHL react to that? Uh, they said the NA, uh, the NHL said that players are not required to to participate in in in, in every uh, promotional night, things like that. That they are that the players are allowed to um, to what's the word I'm looking for here? They're allowed to. Make their own decisions. Uh, yeah, make their own decisions and into and for their own beliefs. Yeah. So what what about social media? Because you were telling me during the yeah. break there was a there was a lot of social media reaction to this. Well, a local sports columnist was was not too happy about Ivan Provorov's uh, decision here, and um, but the 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 uh, the media reaction that I saw is that the, a lot of people were in support of of Ivan Provorov. So in other uh, words, in supporting him by saying if he doesn't want to skate with a pride jersey. He should be allowed to refuse that. Sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That was the that was the general consensus online today. Yeah. So so what do you think about that? I mean, it has, I don't think yeah. it has anything to do with pride, but it has everything to do with uh, freedom of speech. Do you do you think that a, an NHL player 
should have the right, because obviously the First Amendment doesn't apply. It's a private company. But should an athlete who makes his or her living on what they wear, what they promote, should that athlete, in your mind, have the right to say, I don't support this particular cause for whatever reason, so I don't want to be forced to do that. What yeah. do you think? I think I think a player should have that right. I will admit it's it's not a great look. I don't think, even if you were on the fence about it, to me, I would. And this is just maybe, maybe this is me with uh, <laughs> this is this is my own weakness here. But I would almost just say just just wear it, avoid the fuss of the media, all the articles that are gonna are gonna come out. Wear the jersey for for ten minutes during the warm up practice and 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 forget about it. <laughs> That's just that's what that's I would do. For, see, I, I'm a contrarian. I would I have been the are. guy. I would have been the guy that said, "No, that's never going on my back. I'm not going to wear that." And I dare you. I double dog dare you to make an issue out of it. So I'm glad he did what he did. I'm glad Ivan did what he did. Uh, stood up for his religious principles. I'm more glad that the NHL didn't cave. To me, that's impressive. At your service tonight, thanks for sticking around. Speaking of sticking around, the best of Dave Glover coming up next on Camelax. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.